It was a shelter for abused women that had run out of money, hadn't paid their mortgage in four months, and they were closing the shelter and sending all the women onto the streets who were scared to death. Uh, they were saying, I can't go back to my husband because he said he'd kill me if he ever saw me again. I was watching all this, and, and I got to tell you something, Don, I had the same reaction everyone else did. I said, man, they should help those women. And then I started thinking, if Wait, everybody yeah. watching anything in the world right now, any bad moment says, man, they should do something, then who does something? Yep. No one, because they all say they should do it. So I literally stood up that night and I said, you know what? And this is still written on my wall, Don. It says, there is no they. It's you. There is no they. They don't come solve the problem. You do. So I, I stood up and I said, oh, my God, what these women need is money, the thing that I was just about to get rid of. And so I actually called the news station, got the info, was able to pay all of their back rent, and, and, and I gave them a whole year, years in advance worth of all, their, all the funding they needed. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Start Ed Up podcast. The summer continues to roll on, and I'm actually on a field trip with students out in New York City. Therefore, I'm releasing the greatest episode I believe I've ever recorded. Holding on to this one for a while, the opening sequence alone should make you want to listen to this and maybe listen to it two or three times. This is one that you should share. If you have kids, make them listen to it. If you are a teacher, share it to other teachers. If you're a parent, let this warm your heart. Jeff Hoffman is a personal hero of mine. He uh, has a quite extensive background as being an entrepreneur extraordinaire, but mostly he's just been a help to people. He has served under three different White Houses and pursuing and helping teach the mindsets of entrepreneurship. This episode is strict. It's just amazing. I'm not going to say any more. I'm going to get right to it. But again, a share on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter is everything to us. All right, here it is. Jeff Hoffman. He is the 2010 Lifetime Achievement Award in Entrepreneurship. He's a philanthropist. He's even a Grammy winner. We'll get into that. He is Jeff Hoffman. Jeff, first of all, thank you and welcome to the show. Absolutely. And thank you very much for having me. So I want to dig in right away and first um, kick off with, I've seen some of your talks and I've seen uh, some of your other podcasts and essentially you have a driving mission of being able to train people to think like an entrepreneur. We're on this very similar mission. I have a class where I want my students to be more innovative and entrepreneurial um, and not necessarily just entrepreneurial because I think people can be entrepreneurial in the same old ways. Um, but why do you think it's so important to get people to think like a startup or an entrepreneur? So uh, Dom, I'm going to back up and tell you how I got there because I didn't start thinking that. I didn't even know that. Uh, what happened was I had growing up, I had the life that I had and then the life that I wanted. And I realized that the life that I wanted wasn't just going to show up, right? Uh, I heard somebody one day say, you know, you can't, you're, you don't wait for your ship to come in, you swim out to it. <laughs> when I heard that, it made me think if I have a life that I want, which it turns out is a lot of people in the world actually would like a better life than they have for themselves, for the people around them, for their family, their country, whatever it is. Uh, but I realized I needed to go out and, and create that reality. And so I became an entrepreneur, not because I even knew what an entrepreneur was. I never said to myself, I want to be an entrepreneur. What I said was, I want to change things and I want to create things and I want to shape my future, not wait for it. So I went out and did that. And later, at some point, looking back, I thought, wow, a lot of things that I've wanted to do, dreams that I had, I've been able to realize them and, and make my life the way I wanted it. 
And I started thinking, why did I get so lucky? And I realized that the reason I was able to sort of live some of my dreams or just, you know, design a life I wanted was because I developed a set of problem solving skills uh, that, that were really valuable. Now, it turns out those skills are called entrepreneurship. It's a set of skills you need to launch startups and build companies and turn ideas into reality. So it occurred to me that since I had been blessed enough uh, to, you know, to develop these skills and to create a life out of them, then I had made a commitment to sort of giving back and saying, I want to help other people achieve whatever they dream of, improve their lives, improve their neighborhoods, their countries, whatever it is. So that's when it occurred to me that if I could go teach other people the skills and the mindset of entrepreneurs, they could probably go recreate the reality around them and shape the future around them. So that's how I got there. Oh, yeah. So you, you said the key word there is, you know, learning the mindset. I, I feel like that is probably the hardest part because you went over the fun parts of being a successful entrepreneur. I mean, everybody says, man, I can't wait to give back or I can't wait to you know swim out to your boat, metaphorically, as you put. But man... Why is it that we love watching Shark Tank? Why is it we like to associate that we could be entrepreneurial? But actually taking that journey is so hard. I, I know because, you know, I'll, I'll ask my students, I'm like, hey, you know, what do you want to work on? And in, in, in this guy's opinion, we have a generation of um, a lot of students that they're used to being told what to do. And that's comfortable. I mean, we like to complain about it. We, we, well, like to, we like to complain about the prison that we're, we built ourselves, but to actually venture out is a pretty difficult thing for people to do. How do you prepare that mindset? So you hit the key word, comfortable, uh, which is the enemy of innovation and progress, right? Um, most people, and that is why people like to watch Shark Tank, because I can sit comfortably in my couch and take no risks. Um, the, you know, people always ask me this. They say, are entrepreneurs born or made? I hear that one all the time. I'm sure you do. And I think the answer is both. The made part, you and I are doing it right now. Your podcast is the made part. Your class is the made part. There are a lot of things that I wish somebody had taught me because I would have avoided falling in the same pothole three times if somebody just told me where it was. That's the made part. We can learn a lot by podcast, listening to podcasts like this or taking your class. However, there is absolutely a born part of your DNA, and that's that risk profile. That's the fear profile. I'm sure you've seen the poster that says being an entrepreneur is like jumping off a cliff and trying to build an airplane on the way down. Most people don't feel safe jumping off a cliff without an airplane. Entrepreneurs are the people whose DNA says, oh my God, let's go. The thrill of the unknown, the thrill, the challenge of not, of not having all the airplane parts when you start, that's what makes for me, that's when I feel most alive. If somebody said, Jeff, Here's a calendar. Will this show every day of the next 20 years of your life exactly how they're going to be? I would jump intentionally off a cliff without an airplane. I couldn't live that. Entrepreneurs want the challenge of saying, I don't know how this is going to work, but the not knowing makes me feel alive every day. That's got to be the mindset where you realize I might fail, but the alternative of never leaving the couch is worse than trying and failing. You know, I totally agree with that. Um, and I also feel that a lot of people like, I hate to say us because, you know, I'm, I'm assuming here, but a, a lot of entrepreneurs like the Joseph Campbell archetype, right? Because we see that, you know, in the cave you fear to enter lies the treasures you seek. We get that. Those kind of entrepreneurs are born. But I, I see that 
if we provided more opportunities for, I dare I say, comfortable failure, um, you know, incremental failure within our schools, I think that we can create more entrepreneurs. I say this because, you know, I'll deal with kids that have straight A's, right? And here's the thing that I had that my big beef with the educational system. If you take a risk, it's seen as a badge of honor in the entrepreneurial world. You know, it's almost like you you had to have gone through it. It couldn't have been that great if you succeeded on your first time. Yet, you know, we've got a legion of kids that are like, well, I'm not going to take that risk. I could end up with a B. And if I get a B, I can't get into Penn, Harvard, Stanford, whatever. And that drives me nuts because it's the exact opposite of what you're talking about with your mindset. So you think- are... Uh, you're dead on. In fact, let's not even call it comfortable failure. Let's just call it acceptable failure. I, uh, yes. Because uh, it can still be uncomfortable, but they have to realize it's acceptable. And I think you're right. We have an issue. You know, we talk about this all the time in our educational system that we're grading the wrong thing. Uh, we can just call even prototype number one. Yeah. Or, 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 <laughs> right. Or level one. I, I always make the analogy. I love watching kids play video games because when I tell people like, you know, kids love to fail, like kids don't love to fail. They hate failure. I'm like, no, 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 no. Watch a kid play. Oh, heck, not even kids. I mean, adults. Watch them play video games. You know, I'll always ask this. I'm like, if you ask a, a, an 18 year old, if you drop down 75 of your own dollars, you buy a game on your first life, your first try, you beat the game. What do you think of it? Well, that game's <laughs> terrible. I want right. my money back. Right. <laughs> they wanted a challenge. They wanted to press reset again and again. But our schools, there's no way. You have to go through on your first life and get an A. So if we're going to provide a chance to, quote unquote, prepare them for a future, um, I don't know of anybody right now that has an interest in somebody not taking any risks whatsoever and just telling me what I want to hear. I, I, again, I 100% agree. I, I have a friend, uh, Ray Lewis, he used to play for the Baltimore Ravens. And one day Ray said to me, he said, you know, we're the top of our game. We're the professionals. But on every single Sunday, half of us lose. He said every weekend, half the teams that play lose. He said, if we couldn't handle failure, there's no way you could you could ever become professional at anything. It's just part of it. And you are correct. We we reward the safe route, especially in schools. Um, and that's just got to change because that doesn't lead to innovation. Uh, and a change, uh, uh, you know, change happens only when people take risks and when people venture down a path that no one else has been down because it looks dark and scary. Yeah. Somebody has to go okay. down the dark and scary path. Well, okay, great segue. You have gone down the dark and scary. You forced yourself out of uh, your comfort zone. I heard the story a couple different times. Tell us about you going to Egypt and then trying to get more people to want to embrace entrepreneurialism. Because that story was, that's what made me get out of my seat and go, okay, okay, this guy isn't just talking about, you know, he's not getting on, you know, YouTube and showing his house and say, you too can be a multimillionaire. You went out and war-torn and battled Egypt and, and did stuff. Tell me about I, all that. Well, first of all, Nan, thank you for, for pointing that out because one of the things I always tell people is if you want to make change, you got to get dirty. Uh, you can't do it from the comfort of your big home and say, everybody should do what I did. What you got to do, if, if you want to help people, you got to go where they are. The other day, I went into the inner city in Cleveland to an inner city school that I was physically shocked at the condition of the building. I thought these poor kids have to come see a crumbling building that reminds them that maybe no one cares about us. Until I stood in their shoes, I didn't understand what the battle was. So by that definition, by the you got to get dirty to make change, 
I've always supported the State Department, the White House, everybody's entrepreneurship initiatives. And it was a White House initiative based on Obama's Cairo speech uh, that after the Egyptian revolution that, quote, we, the U.S. will come help. Well, part of that we was me getting sent over there to teach entrepreneurship. But here's the I'm an entrepreneur. You know, in the U.S., we glorify it. We have movies like Social Network about Facebook. Clearly, everybody wants to be an entrepreneur. That was erroneous ethnocentric thinking. I get to Egypt. And first of all, we were wrong that the revolution wasn't over, right? Um, we thought it was. So I go there and, you know, what I always like to say, because this is what I felt like, Don, I felt like I was a peddler with a cart pushing up and down the streets of Egypt saying, entrepreneurship, who wants some? Come and get it. And not only did no one walk up to me and want any, uh, but I sort of felt silly because it's like they're in the streets dodging bullets and saying, uh, excuse me, we're in the middle of a revolution. Could you come back later? Uh, so I kind of figuratively parked my cart and I felt like sending a message back, you know, to the White House program saying no one wants entrepreneurship. But there was a young woman. And I said, look, clearly it's not entrepreneurship. I said, I said, so forget it. We won't talk about that. I said, but tell me about your life. Tell me about your goals, your dreams. Tell me about being a young Egyptian woman during the time of the revolution. So she walks me down to Tahrir Square, where it all went down. And she says, right here, points to the concrete. And I said, Don, I said, right here, what? And she said, Right here, I held my brother in my arms while he bled to death the night of the revolution. And my heart just sank to the concrete. And then she said, oh, Mr. Hoffman, can I tell you my startup idea? And I said, wait, 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 can I catch my breath? Yeah. I said, how do you go from that to this? And she said, I said, I don't understand. She said, you're right, you don't. She said, that's the whole reason we risked our lives that night. The whole reason we fought this revolution and, put, and some people died for it was the right to design the future. She said, that's all we've ever wanted. And I said, so tell me that. And she said, I want to design a, a better Egypt for my kids, a better life for me. And she said, I just don't know how to do it. And then something popped into my head. I said, I know how to do it. It's a set of skills called entrepreneurship. And it's a mindset. It's a way of attacking problems and, and, you know, and taking risks and accepting failure and overcoming obstacles. And I said, I would be glad to teach you the tool set mindset that I know so that you can shape the future of Egypt. And that was the day that really refined my thinking. Just, just quickly, when I went back, uh, actually it was in Hillary Clinton's office, the State Department said, what'd you learn? And I'll tell you what I wrote on the board because it's written on my board still. I wrote, entrepreneurship is the shovel you use to dig a path to a brighter future. Was... So now when people say to me, Jeff, what do you do for a living? I said, I fly around the world passing out shovels and teaching people how to use them. I love that metaphor. I mean, number one, because you're talking about getting dirty, getting out of your comfort zone, but also that it's it's the the toil, the the, the struggle that you have to go through. Uh, I mean, I, I the hard thing that I'm and I'm listening to this, I'm go, okay, so what does it take to do it in this country? Do we have to go through a revolution? Do we have to have you know these awful government overthrows? Things are so comfortable here that it seems that innovation is being done by ironically enough either the people that are so comfortable that they have time to think about these things because like when you're saying you're visiting this this school that was less than nice they don't have time to innovate because they're worried about like real struggles and i i, I don't want to say survival but you know more basic necessities then you have the other end that the people that are worried about nothing and they literally have time to sit around and think and, and that's a great environment you know in itself but the the huge 90 percent middle there the, the ones that are so comfortable that they don't really necessarily need to innovate or think about things differently, 
Um, but at the same time, just like a frog that's in, you know, boiling water, they don't realize that um, the world has changed dramatically. Because again, I look at everything through the lens of, of, of education. Um, a lot of the students that, you know, if it's my job to prepare students for the future, the future is changing so, 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 so drastically that I, I think that it's almost unfair if we don't give them time to think about things and work on things that are of the future. So again, back to my question, sorry, I've gone this long. How do we, how do we make things slightly uncomfortable for them to where they want to innovate? Uh, I, I, again, absolutely uh, the right on question to ask. But and I think it's not just, well, it's both. It, it, what you said about making them a little uncomfortable so they care, you know, luckily the world is doing its best to do that. In a world where people are shooting police officers, where ISIS is still out there, um, where all the craziness of this election we just went through. So luckily the world keeps tossing things at us that says things aren't good. <laughs> if you want a better future, you better jump in. That is helpful. But you hit another really big key, which is creating the time and space to do that. If we don't reform, which again, you know, uh, the reason I'm, I'm such a big fan of what you're doing is that you're in a school teaching this. So we've got to reform the educational model where we carve out that space where everything isn't the old paradigm of, please don't talk to me. I'm trying to memorize this stuff so I can spit it back out on a test. That isn't really helping, you know, you know all that on its own. We've got to carve out space where, where students in the, in the comfort zone of school with teammates, with teachers, with a support structure, actually have time to sit and think about these things. And more importantly, to learn how to think about them. Kids ask me a lot. They say, hey, why don't I just start an internet company like you did? Priceline today is, you know, the company we built is a multi-billion dollar company. They say, why do I need to go to school? I'm never going to compute a square root of a number again when I leave school. And what I have to tell them is you're missing the point. The point isn't what you, what you do, the, what you compute. It's the, it's the, you learn how to learn. In school, I learned how structured thinking, critical thinking, analytical thinking. I learned how to do research. I learned how to work in teams. None of that had anything to do with the thing I was researching. What happened is when I got out in the business world, I'm a really good researcher because my teachers taught me how to do that, how to write reports. I know how to analyze problems because my teacher's math taught me structured thinking. Science taught me analytical thinking. So we've got to carve out space in schools where students realize we're not teaching you these skills to pass the test. We're teaching you these skills to survive and create in the world when you get after the test. I love that. And it actually makes me think of a, of a thing that's going on right now in, in my class. I have two students that have their own podcast and it's called Solutions Matter. Um, great two students. Uh, one is a, a young African-American male who has has had some really bad hardships in his life. And the other uh, is a really nice, also they're both seniors, a, a Caucasian male. So here you have two what seemingly be op opposite ends of the spectrum. Both of them have had tough upbringings. And the point I'm going to get at is that they're tired of, to your point, there's so many things that we could innovate, but they see more things as blame culture. So they, they've been having people come on and say, okay, 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 we get it. You're angry about filling your topic, you know, police brutality or, you know, race relations or the election or whatever. Okay, we get it. You're mad. What is your solution? Because we have so many 24-hour news cycles. Well, it's not 24, but we have 24-hour opinion cycles to where people are giving their opinion on what is terrible. 
but they wanted to do a podcast on what some of the solutions are. Absolutely oh. fantastic because anger is potential energy, right? Action is kinetic energy. Yes. I, 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 I don't, we don't have to diverge into this, but somebody asked me recently, uh, they said uh, about the football thing, Colin Kaepernick taking a knee. I said, turns out nobody ever made anything better by taking a knee. You make things better by getting off your knee and going into your community and doing something. Solutions are the only thing that matter. I, I, I'm not. I'm not arguing somebody's right to protest, but protest doesn't fix anything. Action right. fixes things. If you really care, stop protesting. Go into the city. Go talk. Go find create solutions, uh, not just highlight the problems. So you know, I commend your students for having a podcast uh, and for caring about. Not we already know what the problem is. Let's let's create some solutions because that's the only thing that really matters. Otherwise, we all just complain all day and no one does anything to make it better. I think Simon Sinek pointed out in his last book, uh, well, second to last book, Leaders Eat Last, he started talking about the relevancy of an awareness campaign. An awareness campaign means nothing unless there's some sort of action afterwards. You know, to be aware of something, mm, yeah, kind of like the commercial I saw for, a, you know, a fraud uh, alert. <laughs> you know, there's a bank. Oh, no, I'm just here to monitor that it's actually happened. It's not my job to actually do anything. Uh, these are the things that, that scare me that a lot of... I shouldn't say a lot of students because there's people, you know, millennials and, and older, they're really good at identifying problems and, and complaining that things are terrible. But I think what the entrepreneurial journey is, is it's kind of the, the wish fulfillment that they could do something about it. Yes. And again, that is the, the uh, opportunity and the beauty of entrepreneurship that entrepreneurship is all about creating a solution. While everybody else is talking, you should be outside digging. And I always tell people, sometimes they see successful people and they say, well, he or she is just must be way smarter than me. Here's the, yes. here's the magic I learned. I've had the chance. I have a lot of friends who are multi-billionaires and I have a, get a chance now to hang around with some of the world's most successful people. And here's a big giant secret for everybody listening. They are not smarter than you. Right. The difference between them and everybody else is they got off the couch, picked up a shovel and started doing something. So many of these people, when I hear their story, you said before about, you know, so many people sort of ruled by the fear of taking risks. The old adage is true. The first step is the hardest. Once you get off the couch, pick up a shovel. People say, I don't know where to dig. I don't know what to dig. I don't, you know, and so they don't try because they don't know the answers. But here's the truth. When you pick up a shovel and start digging, just stick with that analogy. As soon as you do, somebody walks up and says, hey, you know, there's really hard rock there. You should dig to the left. And you say, wow, thank you. Somebody else comes up and says, you know, there's gas and water lines in front of you. I'll mark them for you so you don't hit them. And you say, thank you. And someone else comes up and says, what are you digging? And you say, a road to a better future. And they say, I want that too. Do you have any more shovels? I'll help you. None of that happens until you jump off the couch and start digging. It's all about creating solutions. I think the perfect example is a sports metaphor, and you already mentioned his name. By the way, I like how you casually mentioned, oh, by this guy, with this guy named Ray Lewis. Oh, my gosh. He, I think he, he embodies everything you just said. A lot of people are like, well, I wish I could be as good as him, Cy. Uh, listening to his talks, listening to his new podcast, I mean, this is a guy, when you talked about kinetic energy and anger getting you over the top, he had some anger growing up. He had some issues, and so he used that anger, and he put it into energy of being the best that he could be. Now, he's also one of those types that he will scorn you if you give excuses <laughs> of why you can't great, which I, I love the guy for his message. He is among the most inspirational people I've ever heard. But I, I think that's – I think as soon as I heard you say that, I, entrepreneurs are the new athletes. 
in a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, I, it's, I, it's, it's I, I wish for an analogy. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I used to be able, so I'm, I'm from, I'm a kid from Indiana. Of course I looked up to Larry Bird, you know, I'm like, man, but I can never shoot as good as Larry. Well, <laughs> from everything I've read, Larry Bird spent hours and hours and hours trying to be that. So it was wish fulfillment for me to be better at basketball. I live in Indiana, but did I go out for hours and practice? No. And I think that that's one of the things that guys like you are trying to tell people, hey, jump in, the water's fine, grab a shovel, whatever metaphor you want to use. The risk of not doing anything is a life that is vanilla at best. And, yes. and, and even, even in the midst of your failure, and I, I like that when you admit that you're like, things weren't awful, but they weren't what they are now. Even in the midst of failure, you feel alive, you feel a certain passion, and that's exactly why I do what I do in education. It's why I don't want to leave the classroom because this is an opportunity for my students to go, wait a second, I never would have had time to do this in school, but because of this class, I get to do X, Y, and Z. I get to reach out to people. I get to collaborate with some of the finest people in the United States and beyond. This is the point of living. And, and that brings me to the other point I wanted to ask you about. You, you talked about there's no real shame in accumulating wealth, but there is a shame and not helping anybody. And I've always said to my students, I'm like, hey, if you want to be sustainable, and we talk about this word sustainability all the time, the nicest people that are always out to help people, magically, they're around forever. Like people right now are wanting for, you know, pick out your prima donna celebrity to go away, whether it be a, a Kardashian or whatever. But then like juxtapose that to Tom Hanks. Like no one wants Tom Hanks to go away because he's genuinely a good person. Uh, how when did you figure out that being a, just because a person that accumulates wealth, when did you figure out that being generous was the, the key to all of this? Well, I, I, I will tell you the story because it happened in a way I never expected. I was still in my 20s when I sold my first startup. Um, and we sold a company for millions of dollars and I never sat and dreamed about millions of dollars. I wanted to be take care of myself and my family and everybody else, but I never sat and dreamed about money. Uh, our, our, our company... Uh, built some great products and we sold the company and sold it for millions of dollars. Um, I uh, wound up feeling bad after that because I got all this unexpected hate and resentment. And later my father said it was jealousy, which I never even thought through. I sort of thought if your friends do well, uh, you know, you should be proud and happy for them. But people were hating me. And I was like literally sitting there and feeling bad about it. And all I did was work hard and follow the rules. And if money is the score card of business, then I got paid. That should be fair. That's supposed to be the way it works, whether I cared about whether I was focused on money or not. Anyway, I was feeling really bad. And I remember one day with, with so much, the, the sort of hate I was getting, that one day I remember thinking to myself, Don, I was thinking of the lyrics to the song, Mo Money, Mo Problems. And I was like, how did my life get so crappy all of a sudden when I did what I thought I was supposed to do? And I succeeded at it. And so one day I was feeling bad. And I was literally thinking to myself, man, I wish I'd never made this stupid money. And then I thought, wait, that's not fair. I worked really hard. I took care of my employees. I took care of my customers. I, I, I did what you're supposed to do. Why am I the one feeling bad? So that night I saw a show, the news was on. And the news was a story. All these women were crying. The story was, a sh it turns out, I watched it for a minute. It was a shelter for abused women that had run out of money, hadn't paid their mortgage in four months, and they were closing the shelter and sending all the women onto the streets who were scared to death. Uh, they were saying, I can't go back to my husband because he said he'd kill me if he ever saw me again. I was watching all this and, and I got to tell you something, Don, I had the same reaction everyone else did. I said, man, they should help those women. 
And then I started thinking, if Wait, everybody yeah. watching anything in the world right now, any bad moment says, man, they should do something, then who does something? Yep. No one, because they all say they should do it. So I literally stood up that night and I said, you know what? And this is still written on my wall, Don. It says, there is no they. It's you. There is no they. They don't come solve the problem. You do. So I, I stood up and I said, oh, my God, what these women need is money, the thing that I was just about to get rid of. And so I actually called the news station, got the info, was able to pay all of their back rent, and, and, and I gave them a whole year, years in advance worth of all, their, all the funding they needed. And so by the time I wound up funding and saving the shelter for abused women, I could not wait to go back to work and do it again. That's the day I wrote down, there's no shame in life in making money. The shame is in not using it to help others. I could not wait to go do another startup, make more money, and go help somebody else somewhere in my community. It literally changed my life when I found out I was able to save a women's shelter. Um, that might have to go up on my word wall now. There is no they. If you watch, I, I got to tell you a quick funny. If you watch the interview, uh, Ray, we were talking about Ray. Ray's my partner now in an inner city program we're doing around the country. But Ray, uh, if, you, if you Google uh, uh, Ray Lewis and Trump, uh, you see Ray telling the story. And he's telling the day that I told him there is no they. They said, why do you do this? And Ray says, my friend Jeff told me there is no they. So it's us. And we're going to actually go in the cities and do this. It's, uh, it's my mantra for sure. That's awesome. I, I, I get goosebumps thinking about it. I, we are quite literally, sometimes the students roll their eyes. They hear it so many times. Our mantra in this class, our opportunities are everywhere. And, and we know that when you hear somebody complain about something, you hear groups of people complaining about something, run to it. Run to it because you if you're, you're going to solve a small problem. And if you're the problem solver, accolades and or rewards and or cash will come to you. At minimum, you'll be loved. Because yeah, one time we got in this deep philosophical and a student jokingly said, well, what's the meaning of life? And I said, well, that's easy uh, to be loved and to, you know, and, and, and to find happiness. And the fastest way to be loved and find happiness is bringing value to others. Magically, people will value you if you're bringing them value and like true value, not just handouts. Right. And so we actively want to train our students, A, how to think. And not to just believe everything, not to read a meme and then just take it as truth, but to learn how to think. And number two, look for those problems because opportunities are everywhere. And those are the happiest people I know. Uh, it, it makes me so sad. I, I, I have a hard time now. I, I like social media to a certain extent, but the amount of people that are just actively scanning the internet for that soundbite of the guy that they hate. Or the girl that they hate. So much human potential is wasted Wait. on somebody's like, okay, you're like, okay, today I'm going to spend th three hours to look for a clip to make sure that th this guy said this and I'm going to prove that he's a jerk or I'm going to prove that this corporation's corrupt. Look, I get it. I like a good, I like a good media exposing bad things. But if you spend your day looking for negative, you'll find it. And if you spend your day wanting to solve the negative, you'll find that too. <laughs> I, I, I want yeah, more people to be so positive. Right that that amount of energy people burn, imagine what you could have done with that. power the planet. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're in a tough spot and we got to break that. And by the way, the way to break that, actually it turns out isn't you and I, even though we light the fuse, it is your students. They oh, absolutely. They stand up and show their peers that hate is not cool. Solutions are cool. Positivity is cool. Loving each other and respecting people is cool. 
when more and more of your students stand up and do that, other students will see that it's actually acceptable. And in fact, it's way more cool to do good than it is to join the hate bandwagon, which is the, you know, which is the coward's way out. Well, <laughs> my sound engineer, also a student of mine, is sitting over here to the left of me. One time he jokingly said that this class is a cult. And I'm like, oh, be careful. It's all how you say that. And he's like, no, we deliberately think differently. Uh, he's over here saying we is we deliberately think differently. Um, we try to find um, opportunities where other people don't. Uh, we have a charismatic leader, and we kind of all congregate with each other because this class becomes its own family. And and because we don't necessarily fall victim to the latest media piece, we think it through. We we talk about things. We, you know, we like to look at God forbid data, and and it's just been so fun to watch them take off the matrix glasses, right? They all of a sudden they see the world in a much bigger scope. That when we're complaining about things, they're like. You know, well, like a guy that really understands stock market, the stock market just went down. What a great buying opportunity as opposed <laughs> to as opposed to like, yeah, everything's terrible and we should all just. No, 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 no. These, these guys, I'm, I'm proud of them that they know how to think. Now, segueing to that, I really got a kick out of this story that you were talking about earlier um, is the unreasonable group. You, tell me about the unreasonables and how that came about. Sure. So, uh that was, I'm a partner and a board member in that, but it was created by a 20-something, uh, Daniel. And let, let me tell you the inspiration of why we named it that. Um, there is a famous quote from George Bernard Shaw, and the quote has three lines. And even though we changed it to be general, gender neutral, when he created it, it was, uh, it was man, because back in the time. So I'm going I'm to tell you it historically accurately. So George Bernard's quote said this. He said, the reasonable man adapts himself to the world around him. Then his second line is the unreasonable man or person expects the world to adapt to them. Then the third line is the one that sold us. The third line says, therefore, all progress in the world is dependent upon unreasonable people. So when we saw that, we created the unreasonable group. And, and here's sort of the high level. If you've never been told you were crazy, then you're not trying hard enough, right? And if people say, man, you know, that guy, Don, he's such a dreamer. He's got all these crazy ideas. When you hear that, you're on the right path. If no one ever says that about you, you just you're just walking down the middle of the road safely. Not a not a very interesting life. Um, so when people tell you you're crazy, you got two options. You can conform and say, I better stop behaving that way, or you can do what I think uh, your sound guy just described. You can surround yourself with other crazy people. So we formed the unreasonable group to say, look, everyone's ever been told you're crazy, join our family. Because we'll all be crazy together because crazy is what changes the world. And usually you know, happier together. Yes. Absolutely. And, yes. and you mentioned earlier that, you know, uh, about failure, even failure. I've had times where we failed miserably and we were figuratively laying at the bottom of a cliff and in a pile of blood and broken bones. And I turned to my guys and said, you know, one day this will be a funny story. Right now, it hurts too much to laugh. But one day we'll say, hey, do you remember the time we thought this was a good idea? At least, at least you have an adventure and a story when you're out there trying things, even when they fail. So we formed the Unreasonable Group to help people. Uh, our very high-level goal, which is why we sailed that ship around the world, our high-level goal is to help people. Uh, I'm going to tell you what we really say, but I won't say on air the word. Solve BFPs. 
uh, and scale them. And, it, and it's big effing problems. Yeah. We want to find people that are tackling huge problems, like getting young you know, people out of poverty, huge problems around the world. And then our goal is to wrap them in sort of a cocoon of support and mentorship, even funding, to make sure those people who are addressing real problems in the world on a global scale succeed. Our job is to find them and do everything we can to make sure that they have a chance at making these things come, come true. So we scour the planet for amazing startups that are world changers and amazing entrepreneurs, and then we mentor and fund them and wrap them in a cocoon of support. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, you just described everything that, yes, I, I think that metaphorical cocoon is is what I want for every, and I'm meaning this, Jeff. I want this sort of class in every single high school. I want a a, a junior version and a junior high, and I want the 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 twenty percent time in elementary schools because that cocoon is safety. You know, when when I gave the metaphor earlier, the gamers like to fail because they're also a part of a gaming community. And you 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 love and you oh, yeah. live and you collaborate together, and in the midst of epic fails comes this kinship that most people just don't they've never tasted right yeah and 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 here you guys are taking a boat i can't imagine how alive you guys must have felt i'm trying to literally i'm placing myself in that boat right now and going wow well i'm planning to place you on the boat for real next time we do it well sign me up sign me up i totally come on it 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 was a life-changing experience where we took uh, young people from around the world, entrepreneurs, we sailed the boat, literally circumnavigated the entire planet Earth, stopping at countries on the way. And while we were sailing around the world, we showed young entrepreneurs, here are the world's problems. What are you going to do? What solutions can you create? And teams and startups yes. are what yes. form on the ship. And then people like you and I are on the ship to mentor. So <sighs> it was an unbelievably life-changing experience, but it was also life-affirming because here's what we proved. We proved that if people like you, Don, keep doing what you do for students like yours, they will go change the world. They will go make things better. We took them out there to say, let's see it. And that I told you the difference between potential and kinetic energy. The kinetic energy showed up, man. They jumped in with both feet and created solutions. It and was so you, affirming. Yes, yes. And you provided the key that I think lacks here. That is empathy. I... I, I, I so many times when, when I was the number one piece of this experiment. Yes. I, 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 there's times where I get so frustrated with some people in my life and I don't want to be that guy that said, I've spent time in fill in your third world country. Cause I've been to quite a few, you know, I, I hate, I, I don't like it when that guy gets back. Like, yeah, I spent time in, you know, the Sudan and you don't understand, but I, that's the same time. They're right. When we get stuck in our day to day lives, we don't really have empathy because everybody's Things here can be bad, but by and large, it's not Rwanda bad. And so (laughs) when you you put people into a situation, you're like, whoa, when you help people, I think it's why the people love holidays. Once you get past the, you know, the age 14 and below, I want gifts, you do get that shot of, you know, dopamine and, and actually more than just that. But the whole I want to help that empathy piece. That's how you, you're right, Jeff. That's how you change the world. You get people out of their environment. You make them a little bit uncomfortable and you show people that need your help and you're important. I, I, I oh. you got it. And you know, cause you brought that up earlier. We did put them in uncomfortable situations. Absolutely. We yeah. pulled them out of their nice homes and neighborhoods and their comfortable lives. 
and we took them and stood in a rural village in Africa where the, all the babies are dying every day because there's no other water to drink and they eventually drink it and then they die. And we put them in really uncomfortable spots and said, what are you going to do? And they did. They said, we're going to come up with solutions. And they just started yes. creating and launching. And I you know, could not possibly have been more proud of, of, you know, of our students, of this generation of people who say, just show me what needs to be done. And we said, fine, we're here. We'll show you how to use the shovel, but you pick it up and you start digging and you create those solutions. And they did. So I definitely want you to come with us next time we go. I'd be honored. I think the, the closest I've come to that one time we proposed an idea of <laughs> renting an RV and um, just going to, and we've got a decent social media profile. The Twitter Twitter thing is is pretty big. And so we thought about, you know, doing like a, a tweet up, how can we help you tour? And so we, one thing led to another. Cool. It would have been, but there's, when you're dealing with uh, people under 18, there's so much red tape that goes along with it. And long story made short, it didn't end up happening. But two of my students said, no, we want to do it on our own. You know, if you can't go wet trick, no big deal. So they literally took a regional map. So I'm not going to say they took a world map, but they took a regional map of four states, blindfolded themselves through a dart and uh, went out to where their dart landed. And one, they just wanted to interview people. Everybody has a story. And they wanted to connect with people on a deeper level. And while they were there, they wanted to hear, okay, what would you want to fix? And the only thing that they really did is they provided opinions. And, and I'm not going to make it more grandiose than that. That's all they really did. But what I loved is, is that they, A, had an appreciation that, A, everybody does have a story. And, B, our insights are valuable. As long as there's some action afterwards. <laughs> that's why my dramatic yes, pause there. That's, but, a, that's a really important point because so many people just underestimate the intelligence and passion and power of our youth. Where it's, a, it's a huge resource that some people don't listen to and they're wrong. Yeah. Well, and here, here we are talking about sometimes that they're, um, they feel too entitled that they have the trophy. And then other times we're sitting there complaining that they don't have the courage to, to step out and, and feel like they could make a difference. So somewhere in the middle, it, it may lie, but I know that it's experiences like you're providing. I, I, I <laughs> rarely, yeah, you, you're, 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 you're inspiring me for sure. Uh, these kind of things, these kind of opportunities we need to provide more of. And, and again, uh, however I can help you and Ray, because I, um, I, I, this is my last story. We, we were lucky enough, we got invited out a couple years ago to, uh, to present at Stanford University. And so um, we were talking about some of the things that we did there. And there was this one girl over in the corner and by body language, she had her arms crossed and she was kind of halfway paying attention to me. And I was, I don't know, I wanted to feel good about what the class was doing. Everybody else was very well receiving it. And so finally her hand goes up and she says, um, I got one thing. I said, what's that? She says, well, this sounds like it's a really good idea for upper middle class white kids. There's this <laughs> long silence. And I said, yeah. okay. I said, why do you say that? And and she's like, well, this wouldn't work at my high school. And I'm not going to name which high school, but it's a notoriously bad high school in California. And she says, do you know anything about the high school? I said, yeah, I've heard about it. And she's like, well, this kind of innovation class would never work. And I said, why is that? She says, because we don't like school. She says, no offense, but, you know, I was one of the few that graduated. And I said, okay, why why don't people there like school? And she thought about it. And she's like, I don't know. We just never have. And I said, um, okay. I said, but what if I told you that I wanted to provide resources and time for the things that you were already passionate about? 
She's like, yeah. I said, well, then what are you guys passionate about? She's, I know this is going to sound stereotypical, but every, she's like, you know, the big problem was with boys. They don't finish school. And I said, okay, what are they passionate about? And she says, well, I know it sounds stereotypical, but they all think that they're going to be ballers or rappers. I go, great. Let's go with that stereotype. Okay. So what if I provided um, some, you know, an, an iMac garage band, and then I start calling producers like mad. So they'll collaborate with you. So instead of them talking about, they were going to be rappers. We had them produce at minimum some sample beats by some great collaborators. And she stood there and she's like, that's a really good idea. And I said, what would that do to morale? She's like, well, if you let us do that, that's not school. I said, what if that could be school? <laughs> You're right, it is school. And then she's like, I never thought of it that way. Because, you know, these big grandiose ideas of, hey, we want to help solve the world. Some people just want to get out of their environment or at least start to do things that interest them. That's where it starts. And so when I listened to her, I thought there is a bigger need than ever to start transforming schools because the, and I hate to say this, the worst performing schools, they pride themselves most on subservience. You go into any inner city school that is struggling and the thing that they'll brag about, I shouldn't say brag, the thing that they'll be proud of is their attendance and their lack of expulsions. They're not talking about if there's any innovation or patents being yeah, filed. They're like, hey, and we, and we, yeah, and like, and our kids don't get expelled as much as they do at this high school. They're saying that we keep them quiet and subservient. And, and I understand safety is, safety is very important. But when the thing that you're most proud of is subservience, there may be a problem with that. And if you have an environment where people don't want to be there, don't be surprised that they don't want to be there. I want to create an environment just like your field trip with the, with the unreasonables. You provided opportunities like that for inner, inner, city, inner city kid. I think that you could transform that community a lot faster. <clears throat> Excuse me. I am... So happy to hear you say that. In fact, I can't wait to come visit uh, in Indy sometime. You are always, always welcome. Yeah, you're always welcome. Periodically anyway. So I would definitely love to come visit. And that's why, you know, one of the things that I participated in with uh, President Obama last year uh, in the White House was the launch of the National Week of Making, uh, where we want it'll, it'll, we got Obama to sign a proclamation that'll come out and starting next year, we're going to ask schools all over the country for one week. Uh, to have a week of making where students have to do a project. And they could be making a song. They could be making an album. They could be making whatever. Just make something that interests you, not the school. Something that interests you so that every student feels what it's like to create something in the world. So that'll be the national uh, week of making that'll come out next year. But I was uh, sort of proud to help the White House launch that because it's what you said. It's what school should be, not what we remember it as from a 40-year-old paradigm. Yeah. No, that's, that's so important. Yeah. I, and whenever I hear people talk about, you know, the school in the good old days, um, I'll usually quickly point out, you know, what's like, 21st century learning. You know what 21st century was? The year 2000. What did your phone look like in the year 2000? <laughs> yeah. Things have changed. Oh, we're in the information age. No, we're not. Information is free. Yeah. You can Google anything and get information. What can you do with what you know? So I tell people, unless you're Ken Jennings, there is no career in memorizing things. <laughs> There, there's no Jeopardy contestants that, that no. So no. I, I want more kids to make. I think it's they're fantastic. Jeff, I've, I've taken uh, your time. Uh, I, I cannot tell you how much I've enjoyed this interview. Um, 
please let people know where they can find out more about what you guys are working on and where they can find you. Uh, sure. So uh, obviously LinkedIn is for, you know, for a project and the work that we're doing, uh, LinkedIn is the best way, but my Twitter handle is speaker Jeff. Um, and uh, that's probably either LinkedIn or Twitter are the easiest places to find me online. Okay. <sighs> Mr. Hoffman. Uh, I have been inspired in ways that I didn't dare dream uh, this afternoon. Uh, I appreciate and value what you're trying to do. I think that you're trying to show people a better way and that the innovative entrepreneurial route is one journey that you should take. Uh, you're starting to me refocus on getting me to be a little bit more uncomfortable, but I, I deeply, deeply appreciate what you're doing. And I, and I thank you so much for, for being a, a guest on my show. I cannot wait to share this with more educators and students and parents and entrepreneurs. This has been quite inspiring. Well, thank you, Don. I'm going to send the same love right back to you. Uh, we need more Dons out there doing exactly what you do for the students, for your community, teaching the way you think, the way you do and thinking the way you think. Uh, a change comes from the inside out and one student at a time. Sometimes people say to me, you know, how do I go out and, and save the world? And the answer is save the person next to you. That's a good start. Uh, you are doing that every day with your students in your class. And I'm on this show because I admire the work you do. Let's stay connected. I'm going to let you know when we sail the ship next. And one of these days I will get to India and come say hello to you in your class. I will roll out that red carpet. Thank you Thank so you much, sir. Jeff. For being awesome. you All right. Thanks. Bye-bye.